Hello and welcome to the Comedians Alley podcast. I'm Lee Cantony, and for this episode, I am joined by fellow comedian Offaly Hockwood. Thank you for joining me on the show, Offaly. Now, your full name is Offaly Hockwood. Is that genuinely how your name is pronounced? Uh, in English, it is. In French, it's not. But yeah, in English, it actually translated into Offaly Hockwood. So. You know, that gave me a really good reason to get into stand-up, really. <laughs> how, how often do people mispronounce it when you get called on stage? Oh, my God. Like, people, like, really, sometimes they just give up. But I kind of, I tend, like, because I used to start with that as my opening joke. I used to start with an opening joke about yeah. my name sounding, like, awfully awkward, which I've stopped doing because as time went by, I started being less and less awkward, so I just couldn't get away with it. Um, but, yeah... People would really, really struggle. I've had like, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't even sound anything close to my name. I have like MCs who ask me to tell them my name like five times yeah. before they go on stage. And then they go on stage and they still forget it. Um, one time so an MC introduced me and he was like, he made me say it three times. It's like, it sounds like awfully awkward, literally awfully awkward. And he was like, okay. And then he went on stage and he was like, next up, it's awfully awful. And I was like, oh, great. Um, so, yeah. People mispronounce it a lot. So would you say it still fits a bit of your persona on stage or do you feel like you're, you're too comfortable on stage now to to be awkward in that sense? Um, I think like when I started out, I was so terrified of the stage that I was literally like, like you saw me on stage and I was this terrified little person. And then I would like joke about my name sounding like awfully awkward. And I said, oh, I, I would say it really suits me. And people were like, yes, obviously. Because I looked absolutely terrified and I just didn't move. And, um, but like, yeah, my, my persona has completely changed as I became more confident on, on stage, I guess. So now it's like, I can say that I'm awkward, but I have to like justify it. Like I yeah. have to like give examples uh, of like stories as to why I'm awkward. Whereas before I didn't have to do that. I could just say okay, it and people okay. are like, yeah, we well, can see it. So it's kind of why I've stopped doing that now. You, you just sort of found yourself trying to explain your way out of, of that situation, which is pretty awkward. Yeah. And um, I think, I think it was hard. It was hard to let go of that. Cause I had like a very good beginning in standup yeah. and, and it was with that character. And I think that what, which wasn't a character at the time, like people thought it was a character, but it generally wasn't. It was just me being so terrified of the stage. Yeah, yeah. And it was really hard to let go of that because like, I don't know, it was like, well, am I going to be shit if I don't have that anymore? Like, am I, is there another way for me to be a stand-up without this awkward Especially persona? if it's been working so much. And, exactly, and, especially when it's been yeah. going really well. Like, yeah. you don't want to let go. But then, but then that's the thing. It, like, at some point it stopped going well. Because yes. yeah. the only way for me to be awkward on stage was that I had to fake it. And people can see through that. And also, I was uncomfortable faking it. So then I had to, like, kind of slowly figure out, you know, like, who, who am I, actually? Yeah. And I think it's as well, it's not only because I became more comfortable on stage is because I changed as a person as I mm. became a stand-up so like in everyday life I became more confident and I became you know like just in a better place with myself I wasn't this like miserable awkward person <laughs> that started stand-up so it's kind of like I had to readapt yeah my material and and who I wanted to be on stage and yeah, yeah I, want, I want to get a little bit into like um how it was before I mean I, I read your amazing article on underpinned it was uh 
published very recently and I strongly recommend it to listeners uh, of the show because it's uh, really good but two years ago you couldn't speak in front of people like you're just saying that you're very awkward and you used to blush in front of people it it goes slightly deeper than that than just like the rosy red cheeks um, blushing doesn't it like tell me about that time when when you really did fear like public speaking yeah I mean I think it wasn't even just public speaking it was like I was so terrified of what people thought of me all the time, like yeah. so terrified. And like, it obviously wasn't so much with like my friends, you know, but like, although I wouldn't say like, even amongst friends, I was never like the loud one at all. Um, it was, yeah, like I just, I could, I would go like bright red, but like, you know, like, but like not like just a little bit, it was like purple and it was horrible because it would like start a little bit and then I would realize that I was blushing and then people would realize I was blushing and then it would just get worse and worse. And by the end, it was like my mouth was dry. I couldn't speak anymore. I was like sweating veins were popping out of my head and it was like completely uncontrollable and essentially all it was was a fear of what people thought of me. And and because I remember I used to have it all the time. The worst was... Uh, at university and seminars and yeah, you were yeah. marked on your participation which was horrible for me because like participating was like the hardest thing for me ever and I had to like force myself to do it because I obviously wanted to get good marks yeah, yeah but yeah. every time it was just like absolute torture and the second I would start speaking my face would just be like red and then it would just make it really difficult and I feel like if anything I probably got good marks for it just out of pity um, <laughs> but in that situation when you become suddenly aware of what's happening to you physically yeah mentally you just you just sort of shut down a, a bit yeah you freak out it's yeah. like your brain it starts happening physically and then your brain realizes what's happening and then your brain is like ah like you're gonna die <laughs> they know you're uncomfortable yeah um yeah so i had a similar compelling to you to take to the stage to prove to myself that mm. i could do it mm. basically um your peers around you tried to discourage you from doing your first gig and said you weren't mm. funny enough how did that feel and, and how did you go about sort of... I mean, not all of them, you know, like at all. Like I do have some good friends. I think everyone was very surprised um, because it really wasn't me. Like it really, you know, I'd never... I'd always, you know, I was studying screenwriting at the time and I've, I'd always seen myself as someone behind the camera, you know, behind the page. I'd never, ever had mm. any ambition to be like on stage. I, I, I didn't like the having light on me. I didn't like the attention um and I was never like attention seeking like maybe in other ways but definitely not in that way and um and I think yeah I think it was a, like a, I think it was a massive surprise to everyone to begin with then some people were uh, a bit harsher than others uh one in particular but you know we're friends again now so it's it's all good um hmm. but yeah, I think people were worried. And, like, I had, you know, at my first gig, I did have, like, a lovely group of friends who came to see me. But, like, I just, like, my flatmate was there. And I remember she, like, kind of held my hand before I went on stage. And I was about to cry, so I had to let go. And, like, they were as terrified as I yeah, was. Yeah. Like, they really expected it, I think, to go badly. I don't think anyone ever saw me as, like, the person who could, like, get on stage and do that. I think they were like, cool, we're here to support you. But they kind of expected me to, like, <laughs> get on stage, turn bright red and, like, break down and run off stage, you know? Which yeah. which I think deep down was also kind of what I thought was going to happen. Um, but, yeah. At least you would have been surrounded by friends afterwards if... Yeah, know. and I yeah, and it was it was really nice actually being able to because I think yeah I think that first gig was a very important moment in my life and yeah. it was really nice that and and the fact that you know so many of them were there then it was kind of like 
you know, I didn't have to explain to them what was happening because they'd seen it and they were like, yeah, no, this is what you need to do. Yeah, and that's interesting. But, you, you know, you cared so much about what people thought mm. and we particularly care about what our friends think of mm. of, a, of us. Yeah. So did you not find that a little bit risky in the sense that if you did absolutely bomb on that day and they're all there supporting you, did yeah. you really worry about, like... But I think this was, you know, I think I think we all, like, changed through lives. And I think, you know, one of my biggest transformations has been that, has been, like, detaching myself from, you know, just kind of getting to know myself more and, yeah. and, and hence not worrying so much about what other people think. But I think that, um, I think that was kind of the beginning of my transformation. I feel yeah. like that was probably like the first time in my life actually that I'd done something like this that I'd done something where I was like this could lead to the biggest humiliation of my life okay but fuck it I'm gonna do it <laughs> and and but that's why I did it because I was so I felt so humiliated constantly for like no reason you know just for like going on a date just for like trying to speak at a seminar just for like you know like like anything i was i constantly just felt humiliated and i hated myself so i just assumed that other people would hate me too and i think that that was kind of why i did it because i was like i didn't want to be like that anymore and yeah. and i thought like okay well if you go through this ultimate humiliation then everything else will be easier yeah exactly if that's the worst it can be yeah exactly I, you know if that's the worst it can be and i've experienced the worst then everything else seems all right yeah you know? exactly and i think i think that is what it, and it wasn't like i wasn't trying to prove i i didn't think it was gonna go well i wasn't trying like i i knew like i tried you know i'd done a i'd done a stand-up course and i tried some of my jokes and i knew that they worked and you know and the teacher had said oh i reckon you'll get big laughs so like part of me was like you know there was i think it is part of the reason i did as well there was this little voice inside of me that was like it might go well but yeah. I don't think that I actually expected it to and it wasn't really a way for me to like try and prove like oh this is something I can do because I, I didn't think I could do it and I didn't have any intention of actually pursuing it after it was more a way of being like I'm, I'm going to do this crazy thing once in my life and it's probably going to be like for me it, it was probably like more insane for me to do that than to jump out of a plane you know yeah. it was like I'm going to do this really crazy thing I might die uh, come support me because you might never see me again afterwards <laughs> and uh, and it, it was just a way of like kind of I guess it was a way of facing my fears you know so yeah, like yeah. so that I could just let go of them I guess so that moment before you were just going to do like your first proper gig, what was it about your life and your background at the time that gave you like the inspiration to write something that could be funny? Um, my first set wasn't really about my background at all. It was a really good set, actually, <laughs> in a totally mod modest way. Yeah. No, it really wasn't for ages. I was like, I don't think I'll ever write anything as good as that. Yeah. You know, like how sometimes the first material you write is so good because you're like you're not influenced yet by like the standard yeah, yeah. you see, and like so it's very unique. Um, I um, picked too soon. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not saying you did. I'm saying <laughs> that, that you run the risk of. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because it feels like. It feels like I'm talking about a different stand-up to the stand-up I am today, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, it feels like I am talking about a different person. I feel like I have essentially just become a very different person. And she's... Um, but what was the question? What was the inspiration to write your jokes at right. the time? Like, what, what was your material about? Oh, my God, I struggled so much. I remember getting really drunk to try and, like, get material out. That does work, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> it did, yeah. And, um... It was, like, so my first set was very much about being awkward. So then it was about kind of, like, 
because I, I really was, I really was an awkward mess. It was yeah. about like stories, I guess, that had like come out, you know, such as like trying to buy drugs when you're a very awkward person. It's hard, <laughs> you know, or like, yeah. um, so it was kind of around, you know, and it, it was a bit like about the fact that I was kind of a failure, you know, like as in like, I mean, I was like this, how old was I when I started? I was like 26, I guess. Yeah, I was like this 26 year old girl who essentially didn't really have much going for me, you know, like I worked at a pub, then I worked at a call center didn't really you know and, and I and I think I think it was there was kind of something relatable in that where it's like well I'm kind of just this mess and um but I guess my material was like quite political but with, yeah. but in a very surreal way so without being kind of too in your face which mm. kind of suited my character you know um and yeah I don't think it was about my background at all because if anything I think I, like I've always yeah. been quite afraid to speak about my background and I still don't really speak about my background okay. that much because I worry it's not relatable but we can talk about that after I'm sure um, it's very interesting this because I you speak about that set and who you were at that time mm-hmm. on stage as a character yeah like it's not technically a character in the, sa- in the sense you created someone to be yeah. on stage but you, you speak about it as a character is that because you're so different to who the person was at the time yeah 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 because at the time people thought I was a character uh and then and then they would meet me after and they're like oh god no it's not it's just you um (laughs) and and you know and it and it was it was like honestly the way I was on stage I looked petrified on stage and that's what people loved like they thought that was hilarious yeah because, because my writing was good you know so then I was just this like little petrified thing on stage just talking about how like I can't buy drugs and I'm so you know and um and and it was entirely me like it was a hundred percent me at the time uh and I think that's why it was hard like I had you know like about I guess a year ago like I just suddenly started bombing and I think it's because you know that character started changing I mean I got good at stand-up uh I, I got through to these competitions very early on and then people were saying I was very good. So then my confidence started raising. And then it was also, I was like, you know, I was this terrified person who was now doing stand-up regularly. So I started being a bit prouder of myself as well. I felt like, you know, and uh, and, and my personality kind of changed. And, and I was going on stage and doing the same material and it wasn't working because people yeah. weren't buying it anymore because because I wasn't petrified anymore. That's and true. so they thought they felt like I was lying to them. They felt like I was saying these things to try and be relatable to them when actually it wasn't me. So eventually I had to, yeah, I had to readapt my material, I guess. Yeah. Has it, has it become easier to buy drugs now? <laughs> yes, so much easier. <laughs> so, you know, there's positives in all of this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you touched on it briefly. Wait, just if my mom's listening, that's all a lie and I've never bought drugs. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's just a new character. Um, yeah. <laughs> you touched on it briefly about how, you you know, you saw some success so quickly, like after like less than like a dozen gigs, mm. a close friend convinced you to apply for BBC New Comedy Awards, yeah. the competition. Like, with so so little stage time at the time, how did you go about building the courage to enter such an acclaimed competition, given the nerves you were experiencing at the time? Oh, I didn't. Like, I definitely wouldn't say that I built up courage. It was like, you know, the BBC application is, like, the easiest application you can ever do. It literally takes three seconds. Like, you just... That's good to know. I'll I'll, I'll know that one down. And uh, I just... (laughs) I really didn't think it through. Like, as in... Like, my friend sent me this, and I was like, oh, no, I don't need to do that. And he was like, look, I checked... And it, it will take you five minutes to fill in. And I was like, oh, fine. And then, uh, and like, I literally, I applied with the recording from that very first gig. 
and uh, and I and I think that so I think my application was adorable because I was just like I don't know what I'm doing but I'm so happy and I'm really grateful and like it's amazing and apparently I'm good at this but I don't know how and like you know and and I think they probably just went and were like who is this adorable little thing you know um, if nothing else we just want to meet her yeah <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> yeah. and it's not like I really really didn't think like I didn't like I said I remember sending it and after that I said to my flatmates like oh yeah I applied to this BBC thing but I really hope I don't get through because I generally don't think I'm ready and uh, and I like I didn't want to get through to the point where I even wrote on the application that I wasn't available on the dates of the final and the semi-final <laughs> so then before they told me I'd gone through they emailed me saying just checking could you make yourself available on the dates of the final and semi-final and I was like well I guess if I have to um but it wasn't I definitely wouldn't say that I built up courage for it no. when applying because I didn't I didn't believe in it for one second but you did it though so but then I did it there yeah. must be some that was crazy. yeah well also I didn't you know being I was so new to stand-up I'd only done mm. you know a few gigs and uh I didn't realize what a big deal it was you know like I had no idea that this was like a big competition I mean sure I was like BBC but I was like, like I didn't know anything about the stand-up scene I didn't I didn't realize how competitive it was I you know I didn't I, I didn't know anything about competitions I so so it was kind of like oh I'm just kind of you know I got through and I was like oh fuck okay I'm doing this thing but it wasn't like there wasn't a single part of yeah. me that went in being like, oh, I need to win. Or, you know, I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I just need to, like, get on stage, manage to remember my material, hopefully not faint, and then get off stage. <laughs> like, that's all I need to do. So I wasn't really, I don't, yeah, I don't think I built up courage. I was just literally, um, I guess I had no expectation of it yeah, in any okay. way. So it wasn't, so maybe it was... Like, I, I was definitely petrified. I was really terrified. Um, but I think that maybe compared to some of the other comedians who, like, really wanted this, you know, because they'd yes. been going for longer and this was, like, important to their career, I had no idea. Like, I, I never even considered a comedy career. I didn't even know there was such a thing, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I thought, like, oh, if you're on TV, great. But I didn't realize that there were stages to get to that, you know? And so, yeah, I guess it was just... It was, I guess, luck, but also the fact that I had no expectations. Yeah, that's a, it's really interesting. Um, so you did win the first heat. This was like, this was like a breakthrough, a breakthrough through moment for you that you thought that maybe you could pursue a career in comedy. Was that the moment that, like, a turning point in terms of your future in comedy? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think not that. It was actually the semi-final because I, I didn't get through to the semi-final because I, I mean, I mean, a lot of reasons, but I think one of them is that I had a panic attack before going on stage. Yeah, and, uh, I'm sure I contributed. Yeah. <laughs> and then just kind of really rushed through my set. Um, and then the judges said afterwards, they're like, oh, you could tell you were really stressed. And they were like worried about putting too much on me too soon. Okay. Um, and I think, I think, yeah, I think the semi-final because like it was weird because I remember the producers after when I didn't get through they're like how do you feel and I was like oh my god so relieved like thank you so much for not putting me through like I just couldn't even like deal with the thought of like having to be on the like live radio in the finals like, oh my god no like kill me now like I could not go through that stress again you know um which was obviously not what they wanted to hear but I was like honestly it wasn't in it for the win I have no idea what I'm doing here but thank you so much for having me you know um and I, th but I do, but then there was a moment I think when I got back from Edinburgh after that semi final, and I guess maybe I had a bit of sadness. Maybe I was a bit disappointed in myself because I was like, well, why didn't I want it? And why didn't I, 
you know like what what why couldn't I actually believe that this is something I could have because I was there like I was on the stage I was in the semi-final yeah, yeah. and the only reason I panicked was because I genuinely didn't believe that I deserved to be there or that I could be there or that I could get through and and that's why I freaked out whereas if I'd just been able to like you know just accept the fact that I am there so I should just believe it because it's already Seize happening. the opportunity and yeah, yeah then then maybe you know and and yeah and I think that it was partly because of like that sadness a bit yeah. um that then I was like okay so maybe you do want this now and then it was like okay well if you want it then actually go for it and yeah that's when I started going for it I guess and gigging more becoming more self-aware of what you were doing on stage gigging and- more trying to understand you know what it takes to make a career out of yeah. it um and I guess yeah just like trying to figure out stuff whereas before I was like oh I'm just doing it and, yeah. and then it was like kind of suddenly I was like thinking about it more seriously you know what I've noticed before like I, I think it's happened to a few comedians um, I think it happened to James Acaster where he didn't never never considered um, a career in comedy mm. and then when he really wanted it he found that every gig he was doing, he was bombing because, oh, yeah. because suddenly really? he really wanted. Really? Did that happen to him as yeah, well? Yeah. Oh my god, that happened to me. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a common thing, but it that's when so just funny. I didn't know that happened yeah. to him as well. So that so that's happened to you then. Tell me about how like yeah. from not really wanting it um, yeah. or not really caring that much, yeah, and doing really well, yeah, and then, and then, then caring the sli- and bombing, yeah, yeah. So, so how was that? What what? What I think I think it's that? very simple. The audience can see that you care, you know, yeah. like, and they can sense it, and you're almost putting pressure on them, you know. And I, th- I think there was that. I think I think it was partly there was a bit of arrogance as well in me. Okay. I think it was like, well, I mean, I'm twelve gigs in, and I just got through to the BBC semi-final, you know. Like it was kind of like it'd be hard not to change slightly after that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Of course, yeah. It like of course. I mean, I wouldn't say I got big headed, but it definitely got in my head a bit. I was kind of like doing open mics, being like, well, I'm obviously above this now you know and uh, and like bam that slapped me in the face because the second you start thinking that the second you start being a bit too full of yourself yeah. in stand up unless you're a very good high status comedian it will kick you back in the ass because because the audience needs to like you you know yes. and what's yes. likable about someone who's like well I'm obviously above all of this and I'm uh, you we know. like the underdog don't we in this country particularly exactly and, and, yeah. um, and I think I don't know yeah I think there's that and I think I think because like I've had this as well like in gigs where I've been like oh you know like you know those gigs where it's like it's the audience is so cold and everyone's bombing and you're kind of there you're like right well I'm gonna bomb and like and I remember this one gig like that where I was like I'm probably gonna bomb and uh and so I kind of went on stage just accepting my fate you know and just being like well fuck I'm gonna bomb it doesn't matter and then that went really well and that's when I kind of understood something again I was like oh they like me when I don't care Mm -hmm. and I think I think that's what it is. I think they can sense when you want something too much and that's a bit nauseating. Like, But I yes. think it's for like everything. I mean, like my dad, ugh, this is not a good thing, but like my dad is a, owns a business and uh, and he told me when I was younger that uh, he never hired people who were too desperate for work. No, really? Um, yeah. Because I guess, because like you can sense that and I guess it's like, I don't know, it's actually a horrible thing today. Um I don't know if it is though. Like whenever I go for interviews, I actually do my level best mm. to look like that. To I, look like it's like yeah, because if I got it, but I'm not desperate. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like that is how you have to be in life, anyways. It's like mm. you should never, you should never want something that bad that if you don't have it, your life is over. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's an element of frustration if 
if you know you really want something and you're not getting it at all, I know a couple of comics that are, are now suddenly breaking, but they were they were, they they emerged at the same time as a lot of the TV names now, and and they're and they've broken like five years later than them. Yeah. And, but I think they were just so desperate at the time that it just wasn't right for that time. And and I think I think I think is 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 you don't want to you don't want to look like you don't care at all because that's very disrespectful. Mm. Like. You know, it's like when I know some comics get away with it because of the whole persona, but it's like if you pull up a chair and sit down and talk to the audience. You know, you are doing stand up comedy, it's a bit insulting if you're not if you're gonna try yeah. with that that illusion. There are some yeah. brilliant comedians like Matt Price who can do that because they're so he's so likable, so lovable and that he, he's like, Let's all sit around the campfire and have a chat and yeah. and that really works. But yeah. if you come on and you're a little bit confident and you don't Well, if it's care. like, please like me. You yes. Know, like, if you're desperate for their approval, yeah, you're yeah. not going to get it. Yeah. Because they're not there, you know, like, like they, you're meant to be there to entertain them, you know? It's not, yeah. like, they're not there to make you feel good about yourself. That's not the point of it. The point is that you're there to make them laugh, you know? So it should yeah, be yeah. about, like, how you feel about yourself or how they're going to make you feel about yourself. It's about how you're going to make them feel. And I think that when you go on stage caring too much about like what they're gonna then you kind of forget that and you lose that and and you're kind of it it becomes as well it's like it's when you're getting on stage and you're trying to prove something rather than actually just performing yes it depends on what you're doing i mean some people have got that nervous energy and and it's fine because they look like they care too much and that's Mm -hmm. the joke audiences will understand that but if it's genuine fear or genuine angst then i think it just reads badly yeah or even overconfidence you know yeah or even that the opposite like, because, yeah the flip side yeah, yeah and it's like because if you're gonna be overconfident be excellent you know yes but if you're not excellent and you're overconfident they'll hate you because they're like who is this guy who thinks he's good when he's not good you know yes that's true um so it works both ways it's like obviously you can't have too much fear but you can't have too much confidence either you have to kind of like the best advice i was given was you need to be on stage as though you're in your own living room yes yeah yeah. so which means that like you know if if audiences are rude they're super rude because they're being rude in your living room like how dare they you know you invite them to your house and they're rude to you know so it's like but you have to be able to as well respond in that same way like how when you're in your living room you're chilled you're comfortable you're yes. in your space you want people to feel welcome yeah. you want people to feel happy in your space you yeah, know you yeah. want your space to be comfortable for everyone if someone disrespects your space you have to be able to say clearly you're disrespecting my space mm. but you don't want to you know like you don't you don't want to cause a fight in your space you don't want to cause a fire in your space you want to you know and well, if, i guess i guess the the, the biggest like comparison to that is probably like hecklers someone someone heckles you while you're on stage yeah. you know that is kind of a metaphor for someone being disrespectful in your living room yeah exactly and you deal with them in a responsible way some people shut them down too hard and it, and you lose the rest of the audience but if exactly. you deal with it and- it's like how would you speak to your guest if yeah. your guest is actually just being rude and like because I've had different like you know I'd, a lot of times MCs will say at the beginning of the gig like oh don't heckle you know acts and stuff and I don't necessarily like that because I actually I do like I used to hate heckles obviously when yeah, in course, my awkward yeah. times but <laughs> but like since I've become more confident I actually quite enjoy hecklers because I feel like sometimes I can get something funny out of it I mean sometimes there are hecklers where it's like I wish they would just you know die um, <laughs> but like <laughs> Yeah. you know especially when it's like pervy ones or like you know because that's really horrible and you don't really know how to get out no. of that but um or hecklers that are too quiet for anyone else to hear them but only yeah. you can hear them oh when they speak on your fucking punchline like oh, oh yes. my god i could kick them um yeah like when they literally just speak over your punchline and yeah. it's like oh great thank you so much for ruining my joke um 
but but otherwise sometimes when it's just like you know sometimes you can get some funny stuff out of it and sometimes it's actually nice that they want to get involved you know like yes. I mean or even like you know like yesterday I had a gig and there was this girl who was just like nodding her head whilst I was saying something and then it was like oh are you French as well and she was like yeah and it's like that's a cool little oh cool you know um but yeah <laughs> if you really like my stuff also please laugh because that's yeah. what i'm here for <laughs> yeah because um, yeah. I, I do find that sometimes you have audiences where they're just very polite and they're really enjoying what you're talking about or they're agreeing they're with smiling. you yeah, yeah they're just smiling yeah and and like, that's know. not the point of comedy guys <laughs> i don't know whether i one of the funniest things i find is when you find someone and you you've said something and they genuinely they're looking at you with fear because mm. they're really worried that you're just about to say something that's going to kill your set completely and i hate that i'd love to have really bright lights so i can't see anyone in that sense really yeah yeah, i yeah i don't know i don't mind i actually prefer being able to see people because i like to see their faces um but yeah i know a lot of comedians have that a lot of comedians are like i want to see nothing whereas i'm actually like no i do i don't want to see i don't i do try and look in the middle distance because i can't see people's exact yeah. Um, expressions because if you look at the first row you can really see what they're feeling mm-hmm. about it whether they're liking it or not and it's really off-putting but I feel like my problem is that if I can't see their faces sometimes I tend to just look at the floor yes. and I kind of need to see their faces to at force least myself to eye make contact. eye contact yeah. 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 yeah it is important I mean it depends what I mean. It depends what you're doing. I mean, you're you're always you're never going to be able to be in a place where you can't see people in a yeah. small comedy club. It's yeah. one of those things. Again, you speak about it being in your living room. You don't yeah. you don't you don't put your guests in your living room behind a yeah. blank screen or anything. Yeah. So I, one of the things I love getting into when, when about comedy is like and particularly with like when how unsure you were with your set mm. and what you do. Um, you, you, you're clearly quite strict with yourself in terms of your material and I just wonder what your elimination process is for, for bits and, and stuff uh, so usually I had a gig last night and I didn't do that and I really regretted it <laughs> but usually before I bring anything on stage I'll always either send it to friends in writing and ask what they think yeah uh, or I'll ask like my flatmates or like I'm really that annoying person when it's like oh you're here you've got two minutes here let me go through a bit with you you know and they're like yeah. oh god <laughs> um, but usually I always try it out on some people before I go on stage um, and then when I do it on stage it's like okay if there's like no laughter at all like nothing if I really believe in the joke I'll yes. try it a second time. Okay. Uh, if a second time there's still nothing at all, then usually I'll lose it. Maybe like put it in a jar, go back to it eventually. Okay. Um, if there's a small laughter, then I'll try and look into it and see like how can I develop this? How yes. can I make this stronger? How can like how can I build around it? Um, but generally, it's like. If I don't, like, because sometimes I, like, I write, like, five-minute routines at once, you know, which would obviously never be, a, like, amazing as a five-minute routine in itself, but in within a, a longer yes. set actually works well. Um, but it's, like, if I don't have, like, at least, like, you know, at least a few really big laughs in it, then I'll drop it. It's, like, it has to... Because even if it doesn't all have, like, a huge laugh, it needs mm. to have at least some big laughs. And if there's not some big laughs, then, yeah, then I'll just get rid of the whole thing. But okay. then also it's just, like, I don't know. Like, 
there's so many things that I'll write and I'll be like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever written. And then within two days, I'm like, uh, or like, you know, even a month later, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I kept that for so long. When you write, do you actually write out your set? Yeah, word, word for, for word. word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Word for word. Um, but I've always done that because, you know, I was never, I was never a stage person. I was never an actor. I was never, um, so like, I mean, to begin with, I'm, I'm better at it now. Like now I do enjoy interacting with the audience. But when I started, it was like, I mean, I remember one time a whole sound system fell during my set. And I just paused, waited for them to sort it out, and then just picked back up exactly where I'd left my set. And it was like everything was word for word, and I could not deal with interruptions. So that's why I started. But also, it's like English is my second language. Yes, that's so true. So I think that, you know, I don't... Sometimes if I'm on stage with the stress of me, like, then I... Like, the words don't come to me, or, like, the wrong word will come to me. Um, okay. So it's okay. easier for me to actually already know the words. Um I try and keep it a bit looser now uh, not as robotic as it used to be but as I write it out yeah I write it out word for word because as well that's how I figure out my timings I know yes. how many words is how yeah, long yeah. for me yeah. so if I'm like trying to write out a half hour set that's how I know I've gone to half an hour I don't know how people do it when they don't type it out yes I know and yeah the only the only way you can do that is I guess re- do it once record yeah. it and then listen back and yeah. find out how long it was but do you do you write out your pauses on the sheet as well? So do you write in like big brackets and capitals, like pause here uh, because you know there's going to be a laugh or? Sometimes no. Sometimes I just put like dot dot dot. Um, you know, like I mean, most of my pauses come after jokes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you sort of know where they are anyway. Yeah. No, I yeah. feel like pacing was something that. I kind of had naturally, I don't know how I had that naturally, I guess just from writing, you know, like, because yeah. I guess because I was already, like, I mean, I've always written, so I think that from writing, I often will read things aloud, and, and, and especially if writing in French, you know, the French language, it's, yes, yeah. it's all about, like, the rhythm and the timing, and that's how, you know, you're a good writer when you have a beautiful rhythm and a beautiful timing, um, so I think, yeah, so I think pauses never really worried me, cause Yeah. It was something that I kind of did naturally. Yeah. And the reason I ask is because there's a couple of your bits that you do on in your set where you will say something mm-hmm. and there'll be a pause and then you'll say the opposite to what people are expecting. So you yeah. give them time to absorb what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and then you'll say something different because you, you talk about yeah. French versus yeah. English stereotypes. Yeah. And, yeah. and the pausing, that's really important because you want people to fill in the gap. Yeah. And then you and shock then, them with yeah. it. Um, did you? I mean, I I start I start with a with a spider diagram with a premise maybe in the middle, mm-hmm. and then try and squeeze out every little part. I know someone like Josh Willickham used to do that when he, yeah. early on. He doesn't do it anymore, but I'll start in that process so I can visualize it, mm. all the little bits I want to talk about, and then I'll write it out word for word, cool. and then screw that piece of paper up after I printed it and learnt it, chuck it away, and then go on without it. I That's not bad, actually. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> um, I, the reason I do that, and I, and I know this, this podcast is not about me at all, but I, the reason I do that is because I don't want to be too reliant on it. And because I'm very visual, mm. I will see a page in my head. So if I'm on stage and I'm thinking about a bit, I'll be trying to remember where I wrote that, it, yeah. or what the shape of that, that sentence yeah. was. And so I find if I screw it up, I forget to yeah. look at a piece of paper. Yeah. And then I'm on my own in that sense because I, I want it to be loose, but I try and then remember punchlines mm. and it doesn't really matter how I get to them it just as long as they're in the right place and I say the words in the right order yeah when you start a joke or start writing material what is your first initial uh, process honestly most of the material I write will often come from 
me having a conversation with someone and then saying something and then they laugh and then I go, oh, maybe that's a bit. And then and then I'll look into that and then it'll just stay in my head for like weeks or months and it'll start like boiling, being like, oh, like without kind of realizing. So then by the time I get to the page, it's like a lot of thoughts kind of put together. Yeah. And then I just have to like force myself to try and then you know then I write it out and there's usually no jokes and then I'm like okay how can I put a joke into this how can I fit a joke there there's probably a joke I can put somewhere along there yes um and like and sometimes I'm stuck like sometimes um I really like writing with other people I think yes I think it's good my brain uh also I really like writing with good joke writers you know because I don't think I'm a joke writer I think I'm a storytelling and uh, I think I think being a good joke writer kind of takes almost like a, ma- a mathemat- math- mathematician. Math- how do you say it? Mathematician. Mathematician brain, um, which I definitely don't have. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah. So it's useful to like work with other people who mm. like have differing skills to you, where you can bring something to them and they can bring something to you. Um, but yeah, essentially for me, I mean, it really is like I already have kind of ideas boiling up. I have like, I mean, I haven't shown you my room, but I have like a room covered in post-its. I really. Like, random ideas I'll get, and then I'll just stick it on a poster and stick it on my wall. And then you know when I'm like, okay, today I'm gonna write. Then yeah. I'll just kind of look at all the post-its and be like, oh, maybe there's something there, maybe there's something yeah. there. And then seeing if I can link them together, if maybe two ideas can lead to a story. Um, yeah. Where do you buy your poster notes from? Because I find that they're never adhesive enough to stick on the wall and stay there. It really, really? annoys me. Yeah. Amazon. Amazon. From okay. Amazon. If Amazon wants to sponsor yeah. the podcast, please do. <laughs> yeah. And well, I'll... Ryman's. Yeah, Ryman's. Okay. Yeah. Also, they can sponsor the podcast. Whoever yeah. gives you the most money can have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can have the slot. Yeah. So you you use poster notes, and that is that how you remember stuff? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because because yeah. I when I or free... my phone as well, or notes on my phone. On your phone, yeah. But then you don't. You don't always bring his notes on to stage, though. No, 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 no. no like I, I, by the time I bring something to stage, it's been typed out fully. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but then I've I've done that as well, where you type something and you remember it and yeah. you go on. But do you not? Is there? Do you have any processes that you you use to remember something? Like, so you remember if you've written um, out fully, how do you then remember word for word? So I say it aloud a lot okay. of times. Um, I like. You know, when I do a new bit, you know what? I actually used to do this a lot more when I started out because I was a lot more stressed. And I've been realizing recently, I was like, I should probably do this again. Like, I should stop being so cocky and feel like I don't need to do this anymore because I do. Um, but I used to like before before a gig for about two hours before a gig before leaving, I'd just be talking to myself, going over yes. over over. Um, like literally, like I would be talking to myself in the shower as I walked out of the shower. My flatmates thought I was crazy because then they would just walk in and be like, "Oh, she, is she with someone?" They'd be like, "No, she's just talking to herself again." And it's like, ah. Oh. How about um, on trains? Because you spend a lot of time traveling to gigs. Um, or, so. so at the time, I used to as well record myself saying the thing and then just listen back to it. Um, now, maybe I should get like, you know, I had a really good work ethic at the time. I, mean, I guess because I guess maybe as well, I've become more used now to like learning material. And as well, like now, because I know a lot of my material really, really well when I do new bits. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It in the middle. So it's not like. Well, that's it. You're not you're not writing an entirely new set as yeah. such so you are just bringing in new bits where you yeah. you know where you can bring them in so it's a bit easier yeah. but when you write a full a new hour then yeah, you're probably you might when have some... it's like a new five you know it's like oh um 
uh, yeah just say it aloud loads and loads and loads of times and like and try and find the most natural way of saying it you know and then also like at some point I just kind of I stopped looking at the screen like at some point so if when I go on stage when I try out material for the first time at a new material night um, I'll just have very vague notes so that I can yeah. look at it and I know what I'm talking about but I just kind of let my brain just say the words as they feel natural to be said you know when you're writing it do you you sort of consciously so almost talking in your head for yourself just so you so when yeah. you write it down you're getting your voice yeah like when I'm writing it down I'm literally writing it as I say it it's like very like you know I'll add a lot of I always say you know which is something I'm trying to work on um but like I'll write a lot of you knows within my set and then I'll have to cut them out being like you don't need to say that so much you know it's almost like I say um a lot and like yeah. it's almost like I'm almost writing the ums in my set as well and I have to like stop myself from it <laughs> Sometimes they work. Sometimes ums are good. I mean... Yeah, not when you say them as much as I do, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's something I'm trying to work on because I've listened back to a recording of me the other day and it was like, um, um, um. And it's like, stop saying um. It just sounds like you don't know your material. Yeah, it's, it's a, ner- a nervous thing, isn't it? Going back to, like, when, when you first when you first started out, you were, you know, very nervous about going on stage. Mm-hmm. You're very, you know, you had a, you know, not, not just issues about going on stage. It's like in, in your life, you're, you know, struggling at, at that time when you first started. You've recently taken on a new. You, you've got into like um, crystal, uh, crystal healing, yeah. And uh, it'd be good to talk a bit about that because it is like a, a meditative sort of thing, which obviously helps with yeah. nerves and all that sort of stuff. And how much has that sort of helped you, generally outside of comedy, but also inside? Yeah, I mean, it's been like all of a journey. I'm only starting. Like, I think my first show is going to be about that, and I'm only just starting to write about it. But. Um, so like so when I started stand up two years ago I uh, I was really really ill as well like I have a spine illness and at the time it was really like the worst it ever been and I was always in and out of hospital um and uh and like I kind of like yeah I got I started reading about Zen philosophy I started listening to these Zen philosophers and I started looking into meditation and I think it was kind of like the first time I realized that because at the time I was being put on these like very strong pharmaceuticals uh, treatment to um, you know live, and uh, and because of that I was like throwing up blood because they were messing up my stomach and I, and I was like really really seriously ill. And then it, you know and and my illness has like there's no cure to it. There's no um, you know there's, there's nothing really anyone can do. And and so I was kind of like stuck with this illness where I was like great, so I might end up paralyzed and there's nothing anyone can do. And um, and when I started learning about meditation, the first thing that happened actually is that at the time I defined myself as someone who was ill. And I think that through defining, I saw myself as ill. And I think that through defining myself as ill, I was just making myself more ill. And the first thing that happened was that I started realizing that if I stopped telling myself that I was ill, then maybe I wouldn't be as ill. And so slowly, I just kind of stopped identifying with the things I identified to. I stopped identified, you know, identifying as this depressed person that I was. I stopped identifying as an ill person. I stopped identifying as like, you know, like I had a lot of self-hate. So I, I thought I was a horrible person. And I stopped, I stopped identifying with that. And I, and I think, it, you know, slowly it was just kind of detaching from ego, I guess, and, and trying to look at myself in a in a different way and yeah it's completely changed me like I I stopped being ill I haven't taken my medication in like two years really um I mean if you saw me now you literally wouldn't know I was ill whereas at the time everyone was very aware that I was ill 
Um, so that's been amazing. I uh, was it a sudden change in your mindset, or was it some? Was it a gradual thing? I, the, the more you'd read about like Zen philosophy, the more you understood it, and the more you sort of took it on subconsciously. Yeah. So or? what happened was that I, I got a new boyfriend at the time, um, who's like who's today one of my really really good friends, and uh, and he was really into that philosophy, and uh, and at first we just clashed completely because yeah. it was completely against. Anything. I mean, you know, I'm like I was very Parisian. Like that was, like the Zen philosophy is essentially the opposite of the Parisian philosophy. <laughs> you know, like you couldn't yeah. have two more like different philosophies. And so at the beginning, we were always clashing because he was saying things to me like, "Oh, time doesn't exist," and I was like, "You make no sense," you know. And um, and and he would get really upset with me because he was like he he would just be like I hate the way you treat yourself I hate the way you speak to yourself I can't look at it and I think I think the reason that I ended up looking into it and reading it was because I was like like he tried to dump me so many times he did end up dumping me but he tried so many times beforehand I just didn't <laughs> let him um and and you know and he tried to dump me once because he was like you know we can't communicate you don't understand where I'm coming from this frame of reference is so far removed from yeah. yours that so I think that to begin with, it was like almost a way of keeping him, of being like, right, well, I need to show some interest to this philosophy because I need to keep him. And then and then it started making sense to me, you know, like, I mean, it took a long time, but, you know, a lot of reading and a lot of, and it was kind of like just slowly, like just, you know, one thing would click one week and I'd be like, oh my God, I understood this. And he was like, yeah, great. And then we'd have an argument about something else. And then I would understand that. And he was like, oh, but it was like, you know, it wasn't a whole understanding that came at once because essentially it was having to look at life in an entirely different way to how I'd ever seen it. Um, which can, which can really knock your confidence because if you've been doing something yeah. a certain way for so many years, like it's ingrained in you, you know, you talk about your... Parisian sort of um, tendencies and mentality that that's something that's been built over your lifetime so yeah that's, exactly it's not something that just came to you so this to do this as an adult where you're like almost fully formed um, for yeah, want of a better phrase exactly uh, you know yeah so I just, you, I just you're taught to like define yourself you're taught to like when you kind of become an adult you're like right you need to figure out who you are now you need to figure out what you're gonna do and like you know and so you kind of create almost the these fake identities which I think was what I had and I just I didn't actually like my identities you know yeah. I defined myself as all these things but I didn't like all these things um which essentially just meant that I hated myself and through hating myself I was just so much more ill because I wasn't listening to myself I wasn't listening to my body I was just taking medication that I was taught to take rather than actually trying to listen to what my body wanted me to do yeah. um and I think, yeah, I, like I had, a, I had a big shock as well because I met people that had my illness and they were all like severely disabled. And I was like, right, well, this is what my life is going to be. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's like it, eventually it started speaking to me, and uh, and it was around the time of the BBC actually. It was yes, like around okay. that, and and kind of after that, you know, that it started really actually things started changing. Yeah. Um, and so I, how did you discover crystals, like the crystal so healing? So crystals came a lot more recently. So so after it ended with Dan, my ex, um, for a while I had this big fear because he was kind of my only link to this sort of like spiritual world. Yeah. And for a while I had like a huge fear that it was like, oh, fuck, now that we've ended, I'm not going to have this link anymore. And so I think in a way I try to start finding my own ways into this world. I okay. try to find an, an, another um 
way to make it work for me and then uh and crystals I don't know it just kind of appealed to me like I went I went to see a medium once and it was like and at the bottom of it it was like this crystal shop and I was just very um interested in it and then and then my sister when it started a candle company and I was like that's cool I'd love you know lift little crafty things to do so I started looking into aromatherapy and then I thought you know what would be really cool would be to create candles that have like crystals in them um so then I started studying crystals and I started doing all these like online courses and then I started reading about it and then slowly, I mean, I'll show you after, but then I ended up just getting this, ended up with this huge collection of crystals. Uh, and then I started meditating with the crystals and I realized that when I meditate with crystals, it's like, it's weird. It just takes me to this very intense meditation space, like straight away. And I can meditate for like two hours with crystals, which is something I could never do without them before. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, one thing led to another. I did, like, it kind of like stand-up, you know, like accidentally, like yeah, really yeah, accidentally. Yeah. Um, I went to my friend's house. This is very recently. This is literally last month. I went to my friend's house and jokingly, you know, I had all my crystals and they were all making fun of me for it because they're very French. And, uh, <laughs> and like, I, you know, I burned my hands and they were like, oh, you need to put cream on it. And I was like, no, it's cool. I've got a crystal. And they were like, oh, you're insane. Um, and then one of my friends, as a joke, was like, oh, well, you do a crystal healing session with me. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I just kind of improvised. And then, and then what I realized was that I could feel energies. Like, I could feel what was happening with him. And I could feel where there were blockages. And, uh, and like, he hadn't been able to sleep in a while. And after that, he just, like, passed out. He just fell asleep for, like, four hours. And then the next day, he felt amazing. And I was like, whoa... And then my other friends started asking me to do it on them. And like, and then people I didn't know. And, and I realized that it was like really weird because like I was doing it to people I'd never like, you know, that I'd met like twice. And I would like find really big traumas in them. And then, you know, they would come out of them there and I would be like, oh, I found a big blockage here. And I think it's a trauma that's linked to this. And they would be like, fuck, how did you know? You know, and uh and I realized that I was really helping people because it was kind of like, it was almost like for the first time someone was telling them like, oh, this isn't something you need to keep, you know, we, yes. we can pass it, we can. So essentially what I do is that I take them through a guided meditation and because I like to keep them involved. So I let them choose their crystals to begin with and I take them through a meditation. And, and sometimes when I feel like there's a chakra that's blocked, I'll be able to kind of feel why it's blocked. So then okay. I'll say, you know, like with every breath in, like you're breathing in like you know forgiveness and with every breath out you're breathing out you know like letting go of this or that you know and and like then it's weird because i just feel that something is unblocked it feels you know it's really funny because uh the name ophelia means the help in i don't know what language i think it might be Probably latin or something like that yeah. i imagine and i remember reading that as a kid and being really annoyed about that you know because I was like oh great like oh I'm just gonna be like the help you know like and like and you know and because I was already this little shy person who like didn't get bullied but you know was always teased and like well he's sidelined in, in yeah conversations, and like it? I hated that rule and actually like today I'm like it makes so much sense like it because I feel like you know I, I feel like I've done so much work on myself and I've really helped myself and I'm in a very, very good place with myself and I've come from far, I think. And yeah. and I feel like if I can bring that to others, which I think is something I can do through crystals, uh, 
yeah, it makes sense. I need to do it. And also, I think it, it goes really well with a stand-up career on the side because it's really like the yin and the yang, you know, yes, like yeah. stand-up being my yang. Um, and also, I feel like in stand-up, there is kind of partly that as well. Like you're making people laugh. You're trying to bring joy to others, you know, through the potentially humiliating yourself. But like, that's yeah. what you're... So I think that the two go together. So now I've started doing healings on like comedians and I'm hoping that by Edinburgh, I'll be doing like one a, one a day. Because um, I feel like out of all the people who need it, comedians <laughs> probably need it the most. <laughs> yeah, so you you are going up to Edinburgh with a show and you're going to yes. be performing up there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into the show a little bit in a bit. But um, So the, the other thing you want to do, like you say, you want to go up to Edinburgh and bring this healing stuff because we are the most mentally ill <laughs> people as comedians. Yeah. How do you go about... Cause, it's, it's something that some people might not get behind as people don't sometimes get behind um, things like uh, like um, what's it hypnosis things yeah. like that so you sometimes have to believe in something before mm. you can get on board of it but it seems like you've done it with skeptics and it's mm. really helped them um, I think the way I do that and it, you know and like I've watched since then because I've never seen anything about crystal healing before since during it I actually looked into videos of crystal healers and I see that other crystal healers they don't really let people choose their crystals yeah and the person's just lying down and they don't speak I think what I did which is how I plan on still doing it is that I get them involved so at the beginning I'll make them close their eyes and then center themselves and I make them choose their crystals. Okay. So I make, I put, you know, I'll make them close their eyes and I put one crystal in each hand and I tell them, you know, without saying anything else, I just say, let me know which one calls you more. And it's interesting because I never have to say more than that and they know because you get like these vibrations from yeah. the crystals, you feel it. So once I've already done that, you know, like it's like they've already created a link with the crystals. They already know what I mean when I say which yes. one calls you. So okay. they already believe in the energies of it. And then I'm taking them through a meditation where I'm basically going, you know, from chakra to chakra. And, you know, and every time we get to a new chakra, I put a new crystal on it. And sometimes depending, like sometimes I feel like I need to speak. Sometimes I don't like depending on the person. Um, but then I'll, I'll explain like, you know, sometimes I'll be like, well, now we're working on this chakra and this is what the chakra is. So this is what we're now releasing. And it's like it the process makes a lot of sense. You know, if you explain what chakras are and if you explain what kind of blockages you can find in each it makes a lot of sense I think to everyone and I think it's as well the fact that every single like so a they're involved in the process because they kind of believe it's in on it their before. terms isn't it it's yeah. on their terms they're very much involved in it and I think the reason they believed in it in the end is because you know they they can feel it and they can yeah. feel the blockages and you know and sometimes like for example I have a friend I put a crystal on her heart and, uh, and I straight away felt like, oh, no, that's not right. And I took it off straight away. And uh, and she said to me, she's like, I don't know what you did, but you put something on my heart. And I straight away started crying. And the second you took it off, it's like I stopped crying. Wow. And, uh, and, and like all of them, it's like that. Like there was one girl, there was a big blockage on her throat. And... Uh, and she felt it as well, you know, and I was, and I was saying, her, I was like, there's something you're refusing to let go. There's something you're not, you know, like there's something that you're afraid to lose. So you're clogging up your throat. Mm. And literally two hours later, she messaged me and she said, uh, dude, I have tonsillitis. Like two hours later, she started getting tonsillitis. And I was like, yeah, because you're really afraid of letting go of something. Yeah, so see. And then I find out that her mom had cancer. Okay. And that's what, you know, and like she was basically refusing to trust life because she was too scared to lose her mom. Um, so I think that and and these were all very septic girls you know like uh and uh, and I think that's why people believe in it because it's like the, there's a lot of truth it's like I, I'll say you know like the last one I did a few days ago 
um, I there was a blockage um, in her heart, and so I just kind of started saying things that I thought was what she needed to hear to unblock it. And she was like, I don't know how you knew, but the things you said were spot on because it was exactly the things that I was thinking about at yeah. that point that I think were making me blocked, you know? You're, you're finding a different path to the brain, and the brain's a very, very yeah. powerful thing. So if you can... If you can sort of, I don't know, I don't know how you, even if you can connect to different parts of the brain, then 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 your brain controls everything in your body. So mm-hmm. it's just a different route into it. Yeah. Um, so this is this is almost like a, like a byproduct of your comedy as well. So you're doing this hopefully as a um, as a small business as well, mm-hmm. are you? Yeah. Um, I mean, at the moment I'm learning, but yeah, the idea is, of course, yeah, I want it to get to that. So at the moment, like there always needs to be an exchange when you do a healing, which is something I learned uh, because. Um, the other person needs to feel invested, you know, like it can't just be like free or, you know, they need to be invested for it to actually do something and work. And so at the moment, what I say is like, oh, just give me anything, like whatever you want. Like, so like last week I needed pesto. So I told my friend to bring me pesto. Like he also gave me some chocolates because he's adorable. But um, like, you know, like at the moment it's like, oh, just give me something. Um, So I mainly do it to friends because it's... yes. you know but even i got my first five pounds for it the other day you know because my friend didn't bring anything so she was like oh let me just make a small donation and uh i think i think by edinburgh um i'd like to maybe because in edinburgh i'll be really tired and you know it is time consuming it takes up to two hours and it is like it does use my energy as well um i think i think in edinburgh i would want to do it like 20 pounds a session which isn't much like it's two hours but then also i do want to keep it accessible to everyone and i don't want people who can't afford that to then not be able to so i would say you know it's 20 pounds but if you can't afford that do speak to me and we'll find another way and then i'll be like just get me a pack of gummy bears or you know um so if there are any comedians that want to do a session with you while they're in edinburgh um, how can they get in touch yeah just uh, find me on facebook uh find uh, yeah just find me on facebook find me on twitter just instagram just message me on social media um if you figure out how to spell my name so i'm just like spreading the word at the moment i'm you know while speaking on it here i'm doing another podcast tomorrow i'm speaking about it and uh like just letting comedians know and uh you know and i'm hoping that you know as i do more and more comedians they'll be able to recommend it to other. I mean essentially Edinburgh is 25 days I feel like I should pretty easily find 25 comedians I think so yeah I think I think the difficulty is the rest of us are very poor so yeah exactly <laughs> um it's like whether or not I would but whether or not I would start charging 20 pounds in Edinburgh I don't know I can it. I might say like you know in Edinburgh I might just, just make it like don- yeah exactly yeah. I might just make it like donation based like Do pay, what pay what you want pay what yeah <laughs> yeah I might just be like pay what you want pay what you can or if you want to just like bring me something instead you can do that yeah. too you know yeah so there is a listener, someone listening, and they can't make it to Edinburgh. Are there any techniques that they could take on or do themselves to? Um, yeah, I mean, like, essentially, when it comes to meditation, I feel like it's like if you've never meditated, I would say, um, you know, I like I personally wouldn't use the Headspace app anymore, and it doesn't work for me. But it is a good way into it. It's a good way of understanding it. So it's like if you've never meditated, um, definitely download the Headspace app and try that. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of really cool uh, meditation things in London, for example. I don't know about outside of London, but there, it must be everywhere. You know, there's a yeah, like in London, there's like psychedelic meditation, which I love, which absolutely doesn't mean that you're on psychedelics, but it's it's like they do like sound baths and they guide you 
through it. So it's like if you're not used to meditating. Now I find it difficult when people talk at me whilst I'm meditating because yes. I like to do it on my own. But if if you're not comfortable with meditating yet, um, definitely look into like the psychedelic society because they have all these like guided meditations all the time that are really useful. There's also meditations at the Buddhist Center in Bethnal Green in London that are really, really good. And they're like donation based. So you can give whatever you want. Uh, they also have yoga classes there. Um, I think it's just like, like be kind to yourself. You know, I think that's yeah. the biggest lesson I can give people. It's like, uh, like understand that when, you know, when you're being mean to yourself, when you're worrying about what other people think about you and stuff, essentially that's just you being mean to yourself because what other people think about you doesn't actually matter as in you know it, it doesn't it's to do with them it's not to do with you more often than not when people bitch about other people it's not actually to do with the person that's being bitched about it's about yeah. why they feel the need to do that in their first place um and i think it's just like yeah learn to be kind to yourself learn to be your own best friend and then when it comes to crystals um each crystal is linked to a different chakra and each crystal, you know, has a different purpose. So it depends what you're trying to find. If you're trying to find self-love, there's crystals that are great for that and like, you know, keep them under your pillow, take them with you. If you're trying to find calm, there's crystals that are great for that. If you have like uh, physical issues, there, there's also crystals that are great for that. Um, you can literally type into Google yeah. like what crystal is good for dot, 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 whatever it is you're looking for and you will find a list of it. And then, like, just, you know, whether or not you believe in it, like, get one, you know, try and see if you can find a link with it, try and meditate with it, try and, you know, and, you know, if it's not for you, then find your other routes, find your other ways. But, yeah, I, th I think, honestly, the most important thing in all of this is, like, be nice to yourself and actually... If you actually... If you want to heal, if you want to be better, if you want to be calmer... Um, if you just need to actually want it and and the rest will kind of i think slowly happen you know and and also be lenient with yourself it might not happen yeah, overnight it, it might not you know yeah. um and you know you might be going through a really tough time and you need to give yourself the time to be going through that tough time so you can come out of it you know but yeah just listen to yourself and i guess listen only to yourself and I think yeah, and do do things for for yourself. So yeah, exactly. Whatever you're doing, self care, do a lot of self care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and give yourself a break. Give yourself like something. We we put so much pressure on ourselves. Exactly. And and really in life, we just life's hard enough anyway. Responsibilities yeah. and everything we have to do anyway are difficult enough anyway. And it's so important, like to just like I mean, like because like I quit smoking like a few days ago now, and it's like I just the thing that's helped me most like, well a cbd oil if you're quitting smoking get yourself some cbd oil it's literally life-changing um even <laughs> if you're not quitting smoking if you have issues sleeping if you're stressed honestly get yourself some cbd oil um and like like i've just been going to the park for an hour a day just to meditate yeah and like just doing that like before that i would never do it because like oh my god i don't have time and i need to do this and i need to do that and like, but it's like, I do, like, I can take an hour to go to a park and meditate for an hour because at the end of the day, even if that is time lost from like writing, from applying to jobs, from whatever, uh, it's also like, it just means that everything that I'll do after, I will do better than I would have yeah. done before. I mean, that, and you, know? you do it with like, I don't know, clarity as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And it's like, as well, it's like, if you're... If you're not in a good place with yourself, you're not really going to be doing anything good. And you're also not going to be in a good place with anyone else. So it's like 
the most important thing like it's that you might think like oh no I just need to go to this thing and I just need to like speak to these people and I like if you're not in a good place to do it you might as well not do it you know so it's like just take the time to get yourself in the place that you need to be in so you can do those things and then you can do them well you know so taking all of that into account you have written a show and you're bringing that to Edinburgh. Is it, it's yeah. a split bill you're doing? Yeah, it's a split bill again. Um, yeah, it's my second split bill. Uh, it's very exciting. It's with Kwan Wen Huang, who's an amazing comedian. And I'm so lucky to be sharing a bill with him. It's going to be... So in Edinburgh, it will be at 2.30pm every day in a newsroom. Uh, it's a laughing horse venue. And it's basically for me, I'm like kind of being quite chilled about it. Like, yes, last year was my first split bill and I was like, ah, um, this year, you know, I'm just honestly, I'm work like I'm using it as a way to just work on getting an hour. So yes. what we're doing is that uh, each day we're going to switch. One of us does 20 minutes and the other does 40 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, so it's a way of like, just you know, getting a tight 20 and also having, you know, 40 minutes to work on so that ideally, you know, I'd like, I'd love to apply to Vault Festival and although I don't, I don't want to jinx it. Maybe I shouldn't say it too soon because I might not get in. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to, um, after this Edinburgh, even if it doesn't mean that I'll bring an hour show to Edinburgh the year after, but at least be closer to having one. So yeah, I think it's going to be great. And it's just going to, it's going to be chill and cash and lovely. And, uh, but I'm not, you know, I feel like, you know, when you go to Edinburgh, you kind of need to know why you're going to Edinburgh. What's your reason? So yes, like, yeah. so like, is you know, some people go to network, some people go, you know, last year, I definitely went because it was like I just want to be a better comedian I just want to yes, improve yes, and I yes. did so so literally last year I didn't go out like you know how usually it's like a big but I went out twice in the entire month uh, I drank twice in the entire month the whole rest it was like I was doing my show and then I was going home and then I was listening back to my show yeah. and then I was rewriting all the bits that didn't work and then I was writing new bits and like that's that was literally my life last year in Edinburgh I was writing every day um, and I got I got so much better and now this year, my aim is to uh, get myself in a place where I can do an hour next year. Okay. Um, and then, and then you're going to take it to all the small fringes running up to it. Yeah, maybe. Like I say, I'm going to do an hour. I, I, I like. I'd, I'd like to. I don't know yet. You know, I might. I might. I might get to the end of this fringe and be like, oh, I'm not ready. Um, I also, you know, I think. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways of looking at it. But, you know, I, I think that if I did an hour, I would ideally like to be signed by then. I'd like to yes. have some kind of industry yeah. support or at least, you know, like someone to tell me what to do. I, uh, you know, which I'm not yet. And I, I don't know if I will be. I don't like, you know, I'm not really particularly chasing it at all. But, you know, um, I think that that will play into it. So I don't know yet. I think I think I'd love to do the Vault Festival next year. Yes. Um, like do my own show there. And then I guess that it'll be after that how that goes, whether because I mean it's a lot of money during all these festivals. Oh, of course, yeah. And I think it's like I think it's only worth it if you're doing something where you're like a hundred percent sure that like oh no this is you know yeah I don't know if I would do all the fringes definitely Brighton fringe. They're good um, preparation though, aren't they? They the people do them to work out there a lot. Yeah. A lot of people when they do the the Leicester one is the, like the first in the year. Yeah, I've never is, done Leicester. No. Actually, I've never even been. It's one of those that I think is where no one's written anything yet at right. that point, and it's one where they they've got a load of premises. They do an hour and. 
and hope for the best and then that's that's how they build yeah, their yeah so maybe i should do leicester yeah. i guess i, I, I guess I, it's just I, scary yeah. when i haven't like i've never done them you know like i mean edinburgh like wouldn't scare me as much now because i've done it yeah. twice with other people but i think like doing festivals on your own that you've never been to or you've never yeah. done is a bit like ah like how do i promote how do i find audiences how do yeah uh, it costs a lot of money to get in programs and all that sort of stuff and yeah to sell to sell rooms and, and all that sort of stuff especially in areas you're not familiar with or people aren't familiar with you exactly um, and i always get scared when i go to places in the uk i'm like do they vote brexit are they gonna hate oh me God, are they yeah. you know like but it's it's silly but i do and i have to think about it because it does make a difference you know there are places where they generally just i don't know actually maybe i have managed to change my stuff enough that i still kind of get them on board um maybe because i don't mention brexit um <laughs> but but there is like yeah there is that fear of like going to places where they generally just don't like anyone who doesn't come from where yeah, they come from you know true. so you you know you've you've gone through your difficulties when you first started out mm. and in terms of like you know getting on stage and stuff if there's someone who's who's sort of on the fence about starting comedy who you know going for a similar thing you were going through before you started comedy is there any like is there anything you tell yourself now looking back of awfully when you first started yeah i think do everything that scares you you know like if you're only doing things you're comfortable with in life all the time you're never gonna evolve you're gonna stay if you if you, if you feel like you're in a shit place and you're never doing anything to challenge that you're gonna stay in that shit place and if you want to get out of that shit place then actually do things to get out of it and uh do what scares you i think honestly like you will learn your biggest lessons in life by doing things that are actually scary. I'm not saying like do crazy, horrible shit, you know, because that can be <laughs> scary too. But like, you know, if you know, as long as it's not obviously a crazy, horrible shit, do the things that scare you because you'll be proud of yourself after for doing them. So that will help with your self love. And also because you'll get like whether or not it goes well. I'm not, you know, I feel like in a way it's like it's kind of. It's hard for me to say to people like, oh, go on stage and it'll be great and it'll probably go as well as my first gig. Because I think, I, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I was amazing because I've had some really, really bad gigs. But I had a very good start. And I don't think that most comedians have such a good start, you know. That's true. Um, so I would say like, you know, be wary. Like, just because I had a very good start. Like, you might not have a good start, but you might get very good at it after. You might get like 100% better than I am, you know. To be patient with the process. Yeah, but then it depends, you know. Like, because I feel like it's like, you know, if it's something thing you really want i mean also i guess don't be delusional some people i think are delusional you know like if, if you're going on stage every fucking time and it's going terribly every time and like you don't actually have any jokes then maybe look into that you know like maybe <laughs> like do a course or like you know like you know like, like be honest with yourself i yes, think that is yeah. like i think when you become your own best friend there's also that part of it like you know you have to be honest as you would to your own best friend you have to be kind but be honest, you know, yes, like, yeah. like if my best friend suddenly decided to be a singer and she can't sing for shit, I'd have to be like, sweetie, I don't think that's your route, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, whether it's stand up, whether it's anything else, like just push yourself. Yeah, don't don't just do like even even if you are already doing stand up and, and you know, you're doing well and you're confident with the gigs you're doing, then push yourself, go a bit further. What gig scares you now? Like, yeah. what's the next step that you can take that's different to what you're doing? Like evolve. And I think that's what life is, is about just continuously evolving and like you know following the wave and sometimes you know the wave just fucks you up and sometimes the, the wave goes smoothly you know and yeah and that's just the process and what's the worst that can happen you know exactly that, that, that the, literally yeah. like the thing is it's, it's funny how you know violent the terms are we use for stand-up it's like oh you die and you bomb and you know it's like really like war terms um and 
and, and, and to be honest that is how it feels like when you die on stage it actually yeah. feels yeah. like always, you're dying I always try and scout out like the, the fire exit just before I go on yeah. just, just in case just to run yeah <laughs> but like yeah but but at the end of the day if you're being honest with yourself uh so what a room full of strangers saw you do a bad job like you'll never see them again that's true they don't actually care they're gonna forget like and like they might they might laugh about it on the way home that's not a nice thought to have they might but you know what tomorrow they're not going to talk about it no the thing is at the end of the day everyone's too busy caring about themselves to care about other people as much as you think they do you know that's true yeah Yeah, exactly yeah all right thank you so much for joining me thank you so much this was lovely So that was Awfully Hogwood. What an amazing conversation. Such an interesting person. So amazing how she got into crystal healing and how it really helps her put things into perspective and to, to you know, meditation is a really important thing. So if you are up in Edinburgh, she is going to be there with her show. Um, do get in contact with her if you want to try out the crystal healing. It might cost a small fee. But yes, I'll list all the information of how you can follow her. You can get in contact with her on Facebook. But do follow me also. That's at Luke K Comedian. And you can become a patron now if you enjoy these podcasts and you love them. Then you can go over to our website, LukeAntonyComedy.co.uk forward slash tco podcast you can ever become a patron by hitting that button you can hit a donate button and donate a one-off that all really helps and in the at the end of september i'm going to start doing live recordings and my first guest for the live recording is going to be rich wilson that's going to be seven pounds all the information of how you can buy tickets for that are also on the website but anyway that's it from me have a great week and speak to you soon Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.